Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to West Indies on 99.94, the home of cricket audio. I'm your co-host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And with me as ever is my fellow co-host, Santoki Nagilendron, also from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. We are your home for West Indies content, and we'll be right here several times every week discussing them. You can find us in your favourite podcast apps on YouTube or in our 99.94 app. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Today, we're going to be talking about CPL 2022. Santoki, take it away. Yeah, the biggest party in sport has arrived once again. The Caribbean Premier League 2022 edition is up and running. And those listening to the audio or those watching on the visual, Michelle seems calm and collected at the moment. He's disguising the fact that his beloved Jamaica Talawas have got off to a 100% start, winning their first game against last year's champion St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots. So we're gonna we're here to break down the early stages of the CPL and kind of look at teams' performances, bearing in mind there is a T20 World Cup for the West Indies coming up. Who's thrown their name into the hat? Who's been underperforming? We're here to analyse it all and review the early start of the tournament. So, Michel, it's only right... Let's mention the Patriots then, because they won it last year. They've got off to an abysmal start, losing their first two games against the Talawas and the Barbados Royals. From your, from observing the games, where has it gone wrong? Is it the batting? Is it the bowling? Is it a combination of both? How have they managed to dramatically fall from last season? Yeah, I think if you if you look at the first two games thus far, so the defeat to the Talawas, the defeat to the Royals, the, the one consistent... In fact, there's been two consistent things that I've noticed. Uh, possibly even three. But the the glaring issues have been the fielding. Across those first two games, they've dropped nine catches. And it, it doesn't matter what cricket club you are. If you're Dog and Duck Cricket Club, if you're um, Kensington Cricket Club, the Melbourne Cricket Club, whoever you may be, if you drop nine catches across two matches, you're going to lose. The phrase catches wins matches exists for a reason. Um, and the, the the Patriots have been woeful in the field and credit where it's due to um, the Talawas and the Royals, they've punished them for it. So first things first, it's a, it's a fielding issue. Secondly, I think if you look at the uh, bowling performances of the Patriots, they've just given away too many extras, too many wide deliveries, too many leg buys, etc. And those things all add up. Will it be enough for them to not make the final four? No, I think, We've seen teams make the final four before Santoki when they've only won three games out of 10. So I'm not going to fall into this trap of saying, let's write off uh, the St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots. But you lose two out of your first two games. And remember, Santoki, this is the St. Kitts home leg of Mm. the tournament. For those of you who aren't au fait with how the Caribbean Premier League is working this year, we're going to four destinations. So the first section of the tournament is in St. Kitts. St. Kitts have got all the night games. So the fans are coming out for the St. Kitts games. They're not playing in the morning. They've got the night games. 
when we move to Trinidad, they'll the uh, the Trinbagel Night Riders will get the night games. When we go to Saint Lucia, the Kings will get the night games, and then when we end in Guyana, the Amazon Warriors will get the night games. So, what compounds this Santoki is not only have they looked bad, but they've looked bad with the home advantage. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's important to note whereas Trinbago in the past have been dominant throughout tournaments, winning, I mean, was it 2020? They won every single game. Last season, if you look at the Patriots, they actually lost four games in the group stages. They won six. Mm. They qualified in third position, but then they came up clutch in the playoffs and the final with those performances. And I think the big players they've been missing so far, obviously Dominic Drakes and um, Fabian Allen as well. Fabian Allen, I think, was a big loss for them, obviously going back to Jamaica. Because those are players who offer stuff with the bat and the ball, give you that option. And also overseas-wise as well, Nassim Shah last year was a good performance. So for me, they've kind of lost it and they've gambled on inexperienced players. So for instance, uh, Derwood Brevis, who's shown talent, but he hasn't got that consistency yet. So they've got, they've, they're kind of in a weird place where they've got veteran players who are underperforming. And then you've got younger players as well who haven't quite proven themselves. And obviously, Evan Lewis didn't play the last game either. So it's a it's a combination of factors. As you said, Mash, it's, we can't write them off now. It's only two games, but it's concerning in front of their home fans when teams are traditionally is where they pick up points. They are sort of struggling. But one name, Mash, you know what? One name we mentioned um, a few episodes ago, Spiceman, Andre Fletcher, discarded from the West Indies, set up for the past year. He struck with a vengeance in the last game against Barbados. 81 at the top of the order of 55 balls. To put it into context, the next highest scorer was Josh De Silva with 19. So Fletcher sort of carried that innings. Do you think Fletcher has put his name in the hat for a selection recall for the World Cup? He has to have done, surely. And um, I go back to something that you tweeted on our Caribbean Cricket Podcast handle, on our Twitter handle, uh, earlier today. The West Indies must confirm who our 15-man squad for the T20 World Cup. We've got to confirm it on the 16th of September. That's basically two weeks away, right? So anybody who wasn't part of our T20 summer only has about, what, five or six games max Mm. to really lay claim to say, I have... I have done enough, whether through sheer weight of runs, whether through an amazing strike rate, whether through uh, the wickets column, to force my way into the reckoning in spite of not having played for the West Indies this year. Now, we know that there is an opening problem for the West Indies. And when we say opening, sorry, that that sounds harsh. We know there's a backup openers problem. I, I think it's fair to say that Brandon King and Carl Mayers can book their place on the plane. But should one of them get injured, you've said it so many times, Santoki, we should not be in a position, with respect, where Shamar Brooks is the backup opener. <laughs> now, <laughs> now we know that Spiceman is an opener. We know that he has the ability to go at a good strike rate. We also know that he's got the ability to be a wicketkeeper if needs be. For me, Santoki, he's in the conversation. And the fact he's played in the Big Bash League in Australia, he knows the conditions. As you said, he's, he's what, 33, 34 years old, but he's got so much experience and that ability to perform. For me, he's a backup opener and he's a backup opener who will put pressure on Mayers and King at the top of the order. I don't, I think Shamar Brooks is the type of backup opener he's not putting pressure on. He's just there in case one then gets injured. Whereas with Fletcher, you've got a viable contender to sort of step in. So for me, I think that innings was a big statement to come from Fletcher so early in the tournament. And you can only imagine now, 
as you said, there's only two weeks until the squad has to be finalised. Fletcher's got to be in there, surely. Yeah, and, and, and it's worth saying as well, and maybe this is a good point to pivot to, if we go back to, in fact, our last episode when we spoke about the 60, Fletcher came off a good 60 tournament. In fact, he was named man of the tournament. So in, fe- in, in fairness, all Fletcher's doing is carrying on the good form from the 60. So this isn't this shouldn't be seen as a standalone CPL knock. This is a good stretch of form for Fletcher and I do believe the 60 um should count. And yeah. speaking of the 60 Santoki if we can if we can talk about my beloved Jamaica Talawas. Now I'm going to admit it. I'm going to hold my hands up. 3 months ago or 2 months ago when we did episode 70 of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast we had we had young Samuel Badry on the show with us and we did a CPL preview show. And I openly said on that show that I thought Talawas were going to be useless this year. But we started with a bang, Santoki. And what's quite noticeable for me is um, the, the, the top wicket taker for the Talawas in that game versus the Patriots was Nicholson Gordon. Again, mm. people, if, you, if you're yet to listen to um, episode 10 of West Indies on 99.94, go back and listen to it. And you'll hear myself and Santoki say, Nicholson Gordon has probably played his way into selection contention for the Talawas based on his performances um, in the 60s. So I think it's just worth echoing again, Santoki, that for all of those naysay in the 60 tournament, the proof is in the pudding in so much as Talawas selected Jangu. They selected Nicholson Gordon and neither neither one of us two would ever have said that two months ago. Yeah, Nicholson Gordon and Jam- Amir Jangu will start in the Talawas first game. Yeah, 100%. Those, those are two names we would never have thought of, particularly Amir Jangu, sort of come out of nowhere. Um, so, as we said, the 60, for all the criticism it got, it's essentially been a, a short but much-needed platform into the CPL, just to give those players who haven't... Because remember, for a lot of men's players in the region, they don't get that much game time or, or match experience. So it's just provided them to put their hands in the air while the senior players sort of sit out um, for preparation. So it's been beneficial in that way. But MASH... One guy who's going to be sweating, you know, a Jamaican, I'll tell you that is, John Campbell. Because Kenar Lewis in that first game, valiant, valiant test knock, 48 of 46 balls <laughs> from Kenar Lewis. But to his credit, Jamaica managed to pull it off. Do you think, now let's, let's get this from a Jamaican fan. Do you think in the context of that victory, Kenar Lewis played a smart innings or... Was it still a match-losing knock that was just saved by Rothman Powell blitzing it towards the end? It's got to be match-losing, Santoki. It's got. I mean, obviously we won. <laughs> obviously we won, so it's not match-losing. But, OK, let me, let me put it in context. Uh, against the Barbados Royals, um, uh, the Spice Man, when he got to his 50, was 50 of 41 balls. That's match-losing because you can't be out there for 41 balls and you're only going at like 108. But over the next... Um, 11, 12, 15 balls, whatever it was, he then blitzed the bowling again and finished on 81 or 55 balls. I've got no problem with that. So you can stay in for a long time as long as you accelerate in the back end. And that's what Spice Man did versus the Royals. You can't face 46 balls at the top of an innings and end on 48 <laughs> and get 48. That, that's that I call that a soak up innings. And it's own, like you say, if it's if it's not for Brandon King's, um, I can't remember what he got now, was it? Was it 70 odd or was it 80 odd? Uh, 89 or 57. 89. If it wasn't for Brandon King's 89 and then Rodman Powell at the death with the, with the 30 or 15, yeah, we don't, we, I say we, the Talawas don't make that imposing total. So in any other context, 
that's match losing. Some West Indian fans would probably say, oh, he played a good anchor in it, but that he wasn't trying to play a good anchor in it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's not Kenar Lewis's game. Kenar Lewis normally goes at 140 strike rate if he's facing that many balls. So it, it was a really bad knock that was rescued um, by the other by the other players around around him. Sometimes the volume of runs you score in T20 isn't what matters. It's how you score them as opposed to how how many how many you actually get. So the ta- the Talawas kind of got away with it in that sense. Yeah, it's interesting because, like you said, Kenar Lewis, he's known as someone he's played in T20 leagues around the world. He's known as someone that gets off the mark very quickly. We know he had a poor 60 tournament. He didn't get any big scores. I think it was single-digit scores, if I remember correctly. So maybe mm-hmm. he just lost his confidence and he thought, let me play it out, although it's kind of backfired. Um, I know there were a lot. There have been a lot of murmurings in the past about Kenar Lewis getting a West Indies sort of call-up, but you think that that international, considering he hasn't played that much cricket, really, for someone who's, what, he's 30, 31, um, he hasn't played that much cricket. So I think international level at this point is just beyond him. But as you said, brilliant knock from Brandon King at the top of the order, sort of cemented his place as West Indies incumbent uh, opener. And then Rothman Powell coming in later. You do feel sorry, though, for, say, a Shamar Brooks, because he's someone who's, as you said, he's battling to get into the side as a backup opener. But he's not opening for the Jamaica Talawas and coming later down the order... He might not necessarily get to face that many balls. Yep, he was he was, perfect example. Santoki that first game, he just wasn't eaten, wasn't needed. King and um, Lewis had put on such they put on one hundred and two, I think, without loss at the beginning of innings. Once you're one hundred and two and you've set the platform, why are you bringing in Shamar Brooks? It was yeah. obvious that you then have to go to Rothman Powell, and after Rothman Powell, you have to go to Fabian Allen. And even he wasn't in the squad for the game because he was injured. But even then, you're going to Raymond Reefer and an Amir Jangu before you go into Shamar Brooks. And that just echoes the point that you're making, Santoki. How then have the West Indies got Shamar Brooks in the side? Like mm. that, that that doesn't make... And we're not, we're not here to dig out Shamar Brooks. Shamar Brooks is a nice touch player. But if in your own franchise team, a man will look at you and go, nah, we can't bring you in because you ain't got the game to, to cash in at, at, at this point in time, then I'm not sure how... Do, do you follow yeah. my reasoning, Santoki? Yeah, so I... I have doubts whether Shamar Brooks will go to the World Cup. Obviously, that's another topic for another episode. But it just seems, with the CPL being an indicator for who's making the West Indies side and kind of preparation, if he's not getting that much game time and Fletcher's doing so well, you can imagine it will be a quick swap around and Fletcher will come in as that sort of backup opener. But let's talk about the Patriots' other loss to Barbados Rolls. Another West Indies opener, Carl Mayers, doing pretty well with the ball mash and with the bat. Sorry, how, how did you kind of make his innings? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a good knock, right? So Mayer's got 73 of 46 balls, uh, went at a strike rate of 159. On paper, six four, sorry, six fours, four sixes. On paper, it is what it is. Like, it's obvious that's a great knock, but he was dropped three times. So it is, it is just worth pointing out. And that kind of echoes my earlier point about how bad um, the, the Patriots were in the field. But at the end of the day, if I get dropped three times, I better make sure I maximise on those drops. And that's what Carl Mayers did. So I can't I can't knock that. He maximised on it. But funnily enough, the person I want to talk about in the in the Royal side isn't Mayers. I think, like I say, I think Mayers' position in the West Indies T20 setup is set. Uh, I think on comms at the time, uh, Bish was talking about how Mayers has been, if you think about it, has made runs in every format this year. Runs in ODIs, two centuries. Runs in Test cricket, I think a century versus Bangladesh. Lick down England with the ball. And runs now in T20. So Mayers has been a multi-format player for us and done well, uh, club level, uh, 
international level. He's probably the next player to start getting the big bags um, around the world, right? But the player I want to talk about briefly, Santoki, is Rakeem Cornwall. Yeah. Rakeem Cornwall has just come off a really good minor league cricket season in America. And obviously some of you listening or, or watching will be like, yeah, but minor league cricket, the bowling's not as strong. Okay, cool, whatever. He was still licking down the bowling for Atlanta Fire. The one thing about Rakeem Cornwall and why I like him so much, Santoki, is his attitude at the top of an innings is the perfect T20 attitude. I'm either hitting out or I'm getting out. What I'm not doing is defending and juking the ball for one and going at maybe 100 or sub 100. If I'm if I'm here, I'm going at 150 at all times. So Rakeem Cornwall in his innings, uh, if I just uh, recall the scorecard, Santoki, uh, Rakeem Cornwall scored 39 of 25 balls at a strike rate of 156, three fours, three sixes. Now, somebody on our Caribbean Cricket Podcast handle, if that was Errol, uh, messaged us and said, um, in fact, it wasn't Errol, sorry, it was uh, uh, Medvis, said, um, will West Indies ever consider someone like a Rakeem Cornwall because he's a guaranteed opener with one of the best strike rates in the Caribbean in that opener's role. And I said to Medvis, and I want to see what your viewpoint is, Santoki, I said no. I said no. And the reason why I said no is because it looks like, based on what's happened to him in Red Bull cricket, that his size or fitness or whatever it may be is now a barrier to selection. Because if it wasn't, he'd be in the test squad, right? Mm. So I, I don't see them overlooking that for T20 cricket either. Yeah, so how I interpret it is the King Cornwall, perhaps he, he bats like a pinch hitter, like an Orion goes on ball one because he doesn't want to do the runs, maybe to preserve his fitness for that innings. But then as an opener, you're sort of limiting yourself because obviously fair enough with Narayan or someone who you move up the order, you've got nothing to lose. But if you're bringing in a specialist opener and they can only go one way, it's easy for high-level international sides to sort of work out your game or high-level sides sort of work out your game. This guy's going to go from ball one. This is how we target him. This is how we get him out. So for me, I think in the case of Rakeem Cornwall, they might see it as a limitation that he does go off from ball one because he's sort of trying to preserve his fitness when obviously in T20s, as an opener, you will need to rotate strike. So I think that fitness issue with Rakeem Cornwall, unless he massively proves that he has improved his fitness, will always be a hindrance. And obviously his size, there's no getting around it as well. In selectors' minds, that will obviously play a part in kind of showing that he's not fit. So I think... As you said, he's performed well, but I don't think we'll. I definitely don't think we'll see him in the T Twenty side anytime soon. The Test side, it seems like he has to work his way back, which, as we've called out on previous episodes, does seem to be unfair considering his record over the past few years. Yeah, we'd be keen to hear those who are watching, listening. We'd be keen to hear what your views are. So remember, you can message us. Well, if you're watching on YouTube, you can just put some comments below. But if you're listening uh, via a, a streaming platform. You can message us at Carib Cricket, Twitter, Instagram. What do you feel about the Rakeem Cornwall situation? And then finally, Santolki, before we finish, you um, were watching this game. Um, so I'd, I'd like you to kind of answer some questions for me. Um, you caught the game between the Kings yeah. and uh, the, 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 the bookies' favourites, the, the star boy team, the Trimbago Knight Riders. But let's focus on the Kings first, Santoki, because I remember when we did our CPL preview show on the on the on the Caribbean Cricket Podcast that we both said that the Kings squad looks light, right? It it just doesn't look very strong to the point where I was like, if any team ends below the Talawas, it's going to be the Kings. Mm. But what's what was even worse for the Kings, Santoki, is they had 
they had none of their overseas players. Yeah. So Faf weren't there. Tim David wasn't there. David Weiss wasn't there. And when I saw the side, Santoki, it just looked like some any yeah. T20 side, like the type of side you'd see in the old Caribbean T20, just some, <laughs> any, some any T20 side. But you watched the game. Did it feel like that? Yeah, no, 100%. I was literally going to echo those same words. It felt like Carib T20 Beer Banks tournament or something like that. Um, And I think it sort of highlights how franchises, you need to plan for having squad depth because they lost, because of the hundreds still ongoing in England, David Rees, uh, Faf Duplessis and Tim David, massive, massive hitters for the side were all out. And who did they get to replace Faf Duplessis? Playing his first ever T20 match straight out of Kingston, Jamaica, Leroy Lug. <laughs> Leroy, you know, <laughs> I, I can't cuss him out because he done what he done an exceptional catch to get Dre Rush out later on um, in the match. But just opening 13 of 21 balls, but it wasn't even that. It was the fact how when the Ryan was bowling, bowling the ball at him, he was playing it like the ball had dynamite in it. He was trying to scramble <laughs> out. <laughs> like, it just felt like it just felt like a different level. Um, and so for me, yeah, that kind of that kind of highlighted their problems. And then Johnson Charles went out early. Mark Dayal, he performed admirably. He was trying to build, but he just had no support until the end with Russian Primus. But if you look at that middle order lineup, Roston Chase, um, he was out of form. Scott Kugeline, they moved up the order. He went out for a first ball duck. Primus, Akeem, Azari Joseph. It's just just very, very batting light. Um, but to their credit, they did manage to kind of reel it in in uh, Trinbago's chase. And that does highlight questions are Trimbago as invincible as their lineup would suggest? I mean, we saw um, Nicholas Poran and Andre Russell join the side and people were kind of saying, all right, this is it, Trimbago are going to win. But they, did, they didn't look at their best yesterday. It'd be interesting to know whether that was just Rust getting used to it or if there are sort of weaknesses in their middle order in particular. So um, if we look at their innings, sort of Tion Webster was the highest scorer, but Poran, Narine, Dre Russ... Dre Ross looked very out of sorts, um, not at 100% fitness level. You wonder whether the hundreds kind of taken out of him and moving to the Caribbean Premier League, which would be a concern. And then that middle order just, just looked like it wasn't as invincible as we know Trimbago to be in the past. It felt like they were missing in the past. They've had a steady hand like a Ramdin or a Darren Bravo or a Lendl Simmons to kind of navigate the innings. It just feels like they're missing that. So from my perspective, I took it as, all right, St. Lucia performed badly. We're expecting that when Fafti Plessis, et cetera, come back, they're going to be stronger. Trimbago, this is their full squad and they looked like they had a lot of fallibility. So for me, it'd be interesting because it just sort of highlights that this isn't a isn't a simple case of Chimbago marching to the title as many have predicted. I hear that actually, but just to, just to play devil's advocate and counter it, how much of that though, do you feel was also because they knew they were going to win? Mm. So almost figuratively speaking, took, took the foot off the pedal because they'd kind of, based on what they'd done to St. Lucia and St. Lucia batted, it was kind of like, yeah, well, we should cook. Like, was there a bit of arrogance about the performance? I guess is what I'm getting at. Was there a sense of, obviously we're going to win this game, but then they, they're a bit of complacency. I think, yeah, part, partly it is to that, particularly um, Kyron Pollard's innings, because he was sort of knocking around. He wasn't going for boundaries. But before that, Poran and Russell kind of went out to sloppy shots. Russell in particular, he came at a point when, the match was still in the balance and he was sort of just swinging as if he was very, very tired. So um, for me, if Poran and Russell aren't performing for this side, obviously it's only one game, it's hard to tell, then they're going to have massive issues. They'll be relying on Pollard to sort of carry that middle order and kind of finish. And again, looking at 
their top order. Narine, he's going to come off one every four or five innings as a pinch hit and opener. So there is a lot of pressure on Tion Webster to kind of build that consistency. And he's not someone who's had that consistency in previous years or had that high-level experience. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. I think they will come back. Well, they won this match, but I think they will put in better performances going forward. But it just seems to me like what I'm trying to say is Guy and Amazon Warriors could do it this year, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, it is worth noting, people, as we record this, that um, that was game week one. Uh, Game week two starts on Saturday the 3rd, and the Amazon Warriors are the only team yet to play. They will play two matches um, in game week two, which is why we're yet to really analyse um, the Warriors. Um, I think finally on Trimbago, I would just say that I, I suspect with Trimbago that they will always have the view that someone's going to come good. When you have, it's like dream team in basketball for the United States or something, when you have a team or the Avengers, when you have a team that good, someone's going to do something. And yeah. almost, if I was Trimbago, I'd almost look at that first game versus the Kings and be like, yeah, someone did something, and it was the player nobody expects it to be, mm-hmm. Tion Webster. Now, if Tion Webster's doing something, and I'm one of the other teams, I'm worried, because if he's coming off and the rest aren't, what happens when the rest come off? If, yeah. if we see what I mean. So it can be seen, um, it can it can be seen as a, as a flip side as well and but, we do we do have to obviously mention Akil Hussain took four yeah. wickets as well valuable um he sort of cemented his place as our premier spinner so great performance from Akil Hussain Jaden Seals looked a bit off in that match he went for a lot of runs 38 of his three overs but I think when you're at his, at his age and his stage in his career you're going to have matches as as a bowler who bowls in sort of the death overs as well you're going to take licks once in a while so I think that's sort of expected but it's good to see similar to Mayers and Brandon King it's good to see West Indies first 11 players doing well in the CPL because that's what you want to see regardless of what franchise they play for at the moment yeah and we should also shout out Alzari Joseph because he took four four for 13 and unbelievably Santoki this summer was the first ever T20 internationals, Alzari Joseph has played for us. You would think that Alzari Joseph, whilst isn't a lock in, you would think we're going to be taking him to the yeah. T20 World Cup. So again, I think it's worth noting for everybody listening and watching that the sub, the, the kind of sub context to this year's CPL, or certainly the first two weeks or two and a half weeks of it, is who's putting their hand up for T20 selection because West Indies are going through World Cup qualifiers, and it's important to see the players performing in their roles that they are likely to have to play when it comes time to play for the West Indies as well. So we we will turn to over the weekend to look at the Amazon Warriors uh, to see if we can see similar performances from the likes of uh, Hetmeyer, Odin Smith, Romario Shepard, Kimo Paul, so on and so forth, to see if they can put their name um, in the conversation as well. But people, that's that's our kind of game week one review of CPL. By the time you're listening to this, we should be in the midst of game week two, and maybe you'll be jumping in the comments to say, to cuss down our hot takes uh, that we've made about CPL. But all we're saying to you is this. We believe that this year's final is going to be Jamaica Talawas versus Guyana <laughs> Amazon Warriors. That's basically what we're saying to you. So if you have a problem with that, by all means, get in touch with us. But um, Santoki, it's goodbye from me. Is it goodbye from you? Yep, it's goodbye from me. And I'd love to tell you what our next episodes will be about. But as we always say, never a dull day in West Indies cricket. So who knows? You'll just have to stay locked for the next episode. You heard him, people. Stay locked in.
Thanks for listening to West Indies on 99.94. Please rate, review and subscribe. You can also download the 99.94 app from wherever you get your apps. If you'd like to follow us personally, go to at Caribbean Cricket on Twitter and Instagram. You can also head to www.caribbeancricketpodcast.com where you can find links to everything we do outside of 99.94. If you'd like to follow us personally, you can find Santolki at Santolki89 and Michelle at MashSTPaddy. Remember, if you love cricket, then 99.94 is the home of cricket audio. Follow them for podcasts and commentary from the world of cricket. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or Padel, as it's called in North America. This is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!